Okay, we are learning Daf Chav Zayin. We're starting right from the bottom of Chav Vav Amad Beis, and we're in the middle of discussion of Yish Muksa Lachatzi Shabbos or Ein Muksa Lachatzi Shabbos. Again, we have a principle of Migud Iskatzayi Pinash Mashros Iskatzayi Lachal Yoma, which means that something which is unusable in the beginning of Shabbos or Yontiv is now considered to be Muksa for the entire duration of Shabbos or Yontiv, even if theoretically it becomes usable in the middle. So, for example, let's say somebody puts up um, some grapes to dry out on top of the roof. And then what happens is, is that they uh, are inedible while they're drying when Shabbos begins. And then on Shabbos, they finish drying and they become usable and edible. But we still say that they're muksa for the entire duration of Shabbos. That's something which everybody agrees to. But the shaila is, what if they were usable when Shabbos began? They were already dried out. But then it rained uh, in the middle of Shabbos and they became totally bloated. And since they became totally waterlogged and bloated, they became unusable. And once they became unusable, our Shaila is, does that trigger a muksa for the rest of Shabbos? Then Abgimina is, what would happen if then they later the sun came out and they dried up and they become usable again on Shabbos? At that point, what would the halacha be? Do we say that there's like an Iskatsai in the middle of Shabbos and even though the sun dries them out there, there's still muksa? Or do we say that ain't muksa lechatsi Shabbos and the fact that they, that they dried out uh, now would make them now usable. So this is the question that the Gemara is going back and forth on. So we had a dispute about it. So now the Gemara brings us another proof in the bottom of Chavav on the base Amar Rebbe Zera. Tashma, let's bring a proof. For all beans and lentils that when you cook on Yontif. Think about it. Every bean, it's suitable to use when Yontif begins because even though it's not yet cooked or something, but you could eat it raw theoretically. And what happens? As soon as you throw them into the pot, as soon as you're in the middle of cooking them, what happens? They become unfit for use because while they're boiling, you cannot use them. Then what happens? When you finish cooking them, now it's complete. They become fit for use again. So what do we see? No one would ever think that such a thing as books on Javas, if you go ahead and you uh, cook beans on Yontif, no one would ever say, hey, you can't eat those beans because they are muksa, um, because they are muksa. Aye, while they were in the middle of cooking, they were unusable. So since while they were in the middle of cooking, they were unusable, why don't they remain unusable even after their cooking is done? Elamai, the answer must be, because ain muksa lachatzi Shabbos. There's no such thing as something becoming unusable in muksa sense in the middle of the Shabbos. And since in the beginning of the day of, Yish, of Yontif, they were fit for use because they could be eaten raw, we don't say that they become pushed away permanently in the middle of Shabbos, just in the middle while you're Cooking them. The Gemara has brought a proof that ain moksa lechatsi shabbos. So the Gemara deflects the proof. According to what you're saying, that you think that since it was in the middle of cooking, it's now moksa. Why don't you have a problem? How do you ever have cooked food? In other words, in general, every single shabbos, how do you ever have food? What happens? Where was the food holding when Shabbos began? Every regular pot of food when Shabbos begins, it's totally boiling. In other words, if you haven't yet taken them off the stove, and again, we're talking about Shabbos, you're not cooking on Shabbos, but it's on the stove, right, when Shabbos is beginning, so it's boiling food there. This Tom Kadeir is totally boiling, and you can't, it's not usable in that state that it is in while it's totally boiling. And then what happens? Well, Orta, that, that night, we eat from it. What do we do? We take it off the stove, they cool down, and once they cool down, now it becomes usable and we use it. But wait a second, why don't we say, since it wasn't fit for use when Shabbos began, it was there boiling inside of a pot, and it wasn't usable, it was too hot, so we should say that even after you take it off the fire, and now, and now it becomes colder, and now you want to use it, why don't we say that it's, 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 a, it's, it's already it's off limits for the entire day what, 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 why don't we say that and that's not an issue of that's in the beginning of Shabbos where everybody agrees you have from the beginning of Shabbos what must be the answer how do you ever eat food on Shabbos after it cools down the answer is it's obvious that we don't have a question about something which is completed through human hands meaning the idea is that 
it's, the completion of the food is always in our capability. All we have to do is cool it off. All we have to do is take it off the stove. So even though technically when Shabbos begins, it's not usable because it's boiling, but since all we have to do is take it off the stove and it won't, it won't be an issue, so, so, so that's called gummer b'day adam, something that's up to human completion, human hands to complete, that's not an issue. So, 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 so to hear that wouldn't be an issue when you're cooking the beans, that's gummer b'day adam, that's not a problem. Keep coming. But gummer b'day shemaim, our whole shayla about yesh, or ain moksa l'chati shabbos, only in a gummer b'day adam scenario. And a gummer b'day shemaim scenario, like in our case where you're putting up um, the, uh, the grapes or the figs to dry out in the sun and when exactly they'll become fit after they become waterlogged, that's not up to our control. That depends on the sun. That depends on the other variables that are not necessarily our, in our control. So since those things are not in our control, there we have a shaila that maybe you should say, migu katsai during Benash Mashos, we should say, iskatsai l'chule yomadafka. Over there, we're questioning. We're not questioning in a case of Gamur B'nei Adam, so we end up that we haven't resolved our question about Yesh Moksa or Ein Moksa Lechatzi Shabbos. Now the Gemara continues back to what we were learning about. We were talking about an interesting Shaila about a Bechor Mom. Remember, it needs a blemish if you're not, unless you're bringing it as a carbon, it needs a blemish in order to have a Hatzir to Shef and eat it outside the Beit HaMikdash. So the question is, if it has a blemish, but it needs a psak, you need a psak from an expert that it really is a mum kavua. And the question is whether the expert is allowed to rule on it. And Yantav, is he like fixing? Is he like judging on it? Rabbi Shimon held it was also Rabbi Yudah held you were allowed to do it. So now the Gemara tells us a story. Rabbi Yudah Nusiyah, Rabbi Yudah Nusiyah, Rabbi Yudah Hanasi had a bachar. Shadu Kamei, Rabbi said this, Rabbi and Yantav, to get a psak, whether or not, um, whether or not it had a mum kavua. So Avar, the Mavs of Rabbi thought he shouldn't look at it because of Reb Shimon, she said that you're not allowed to. I'm a leader of Zika, but Timur, if you're in Zika, and some say it was Reb Yehuda, told him, Reb Yehuda, Reb Shimon, I love Reb Yehuda. Whenever we have a machlech, Reb Yehuda, Reb Shimon, Reb like Reb Yehuda. This is one of the rules from Masachas Erevin. So we follow Reb Yehuda, so then we should be matter looking at the Mo'am on Yontif. Hadr, Shadr, Kamadir, Reb Yehuda, Nafka, then Reb Yehuda, Nusiyah sent the Bechar to somebody else. So now, apparently, he, Rabbi wouldn't do it. So he went and sent it to somebody else to get a psak. So Avadul Mavs he also thought he shouldn't look at it because of Reb Shimon. Some say Rizrika said, but we the Rabbi Shimon, Allah to Rabbi Yehuda. We have a machlok to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda. So we should follow his view and look at it um, on Yantif. So this we see in these stories that even though uh, the, 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 the people were reluctant to look at it, they were trying to push it through that Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda, that you're allowed to examine and paskin on a Bukhar Balmom on Yantif. Now the Gemara says, "I'm like Rabbi My time is looking at Rabbanu. The Magid will Rabbi Shimon. What's the shot? Why didn't you allow the Rabbanu to be Mashmer like Rabbi Shimon? Like, like he's saying, if these people were reluctant to do it, what do you have like against them to let them be Mashmer? So I'm like Rabbi said, What do you have in your mind that you think that Rabbi Shimon's opinion is correct? Obviously, if you're saying that, then you must think that Rabbi Shimon's right because again, generally Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon, Allah, Allah ke Rabbi Yehuda. So what do you have in your hand? What do you possess that makes you think?" Allah here was like Rabbi Shimon. I'm believer. Baba said, "Halakha from Zira, Allah Rabbi Shimon." Here we have a statement from Zira that Allah was like Rabbi Shimon. The Gemara explains, "Amar Manu, someone who heard this said, 'Ezki the Ezul Hasim, if I be privileged to go to Eretz Yisrael, where Zira lives, Agmar the Shmaitz will meet tomorrow. I would, I would wish that I could learn this directly from the mouth of its master.'" In other words, he really wanted to hear this directly from Rabbi Zira. So what happened? Kisal the Hasim. This now, this Talmud actually went to Eretz Yisrael. Ashkel Rabbi Zira. He met Rabbi Zira. Amalei said to him. Amar ma, Allah Rabbi Shimon, did you in fact say this point 
that we go like Reb Shimon again. This is very novel because Reb Yudah, Reb Shimon, Ramle Alcha, Reb Yudah. So to say that here it's an anomaly, possibly like Reb Shimon. This is talking about big So he said to Reb Zera, "Did you say it?" So he said, "I'm a Reb Zera." Answered, "Lo, I never said it definitively." And I'm a Stabra, I just said it's Mistabra. It's reasonable to go like Reb Shimon. Tani Masisim, because our Mishnah said Reb Shimon. We quoted Reb Shimon. Koshim Mumanikim Rebot Yom. The blemish wasn't recognized when it was still dating. I'm a Muchan. It's not Muchan. Meaning, if it hadn't been passing on before Yantiv, if it's passing on and Yantiv, it's Moksa, it's no good. So that was Reb Shimon's Das Yachid. So in the Mishnah, it's quoted as a singular opinion. Individual, Reb Shimon Shita. But the Brizer that we had on Dafka Vav said it as the view of the Chachamim, as if it's accepted by the Rabbana. It was only, it was, it was the Stam view of the Chachamim. So what do we see from here? We see from here, Shemamino, Mistabah Kavah, say that it's more reasonable to say that we go like the Chachamim. So to go like Reb Shimon, and that's why we teach it, Belashon Chachamim, because of the fact that it must be Mistabah that we go like Reb Shimon. So here we have different views back and forth on whether or not we pass like Reb Peter, Reb Shimon. Are you allowed to pass on the Bechar Bamum on Yantav? So the Gemara now declares, my Havi Allah, let's get a bottom line here. The truth is that it hangs on great ropes, meaning we get it from different things that the Chachamim said, big great Rabbanon who said some things and now we're determined upon them. What did we say? Over in the name of Rabbi. Mishum Kahala Kadisha Rishalim. The name of the Kahala Kadisha Rishalim is a group of Chachamim, which we're going to talk about exactly who they were, but they said over in their name, Rabshim Vachavir Rama Allah Grammar, that Rishim Minasya. Um, who was talking, and they said that Allah is like Rameir, that you cannot use a Bechar Valmum that was paskined on um, Yantif. We're going to quote where we get this Rebbe Meir from. But now it sounds like they're saying over in the Kahala, the, the, the Kadisha to Yishalayim, what's saying, the Rebbe said that Allah is like Rebbe Meir, so if it was paskined uh, on Yantif, then you cannot use it. So now Rebbe Yosef has to first get to the bottom of this. Who exactly is this Kahala Kadisha? So we say, Amru, does it make sense that the, the, this Kahala Kadisha was saying that Shem Renasya said that Allah was like Rameir? It doesn't make sense. But Inuk Shishi Tuva. The Kahala Kadisha were older than Shem Renasya. Shem Renasya is known of to be um, a disciple or a contemporary of Rebbe, Rebbe Yudah Hanasi, the very, very end. So the Kahala Kadisha was definitely someone who was older than Rishim Manasseh. So it doesn't make sense for the Kahala Kadisha to be quoting what Rishim Manasseh would be saying over. That doesn't make sense. So rather, it must be that they weren't quoting Rabbi Shimon Manasseh, but rather they were analyzing something Rishim Manasseh said, meaning they wouldn't be quoting and They wouldn't be like, the Kahala Kadisha Yishalayim said, you know what Rishim Manasseh said? He said that we go like Rameir. That wouldn't make sense. But they would explain that Rabbi Shimon Manasseh's Psak may be following Rabbi Meir. Ella Peshitas Rameir Amarua. They were just making an observation. They were not quoting. It's like, you need them to quote, but they're making an observation. They're analyzing. Rabbi Shimon Manasseh, who say that you're not allowed to put, look at the, the, you can't pass it on the Bechor Yontif, is going like the opinion of Rabbi Meir. And that evidently does make sense. Even if they, even if Shimon Manasseh was younger than the Kadash, than the Kaddish, in the Kal Kadosh, but it still makes sense for them to analyze that the, the view of Rishim Manasseh is in fact like Rabbi Meir. What is this Rabbi Meir that they're referring to? The time it says in the Mishnah, Shaykh, this is the Harp, Afrin Harris, Mumo. So nothing specific to do with the Yantif. But what happens if somebody shafted the Bahar without showing it to the Chacham first? And then they only went to the blemish, to, 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 to the expert to look at the blemish after the Shrita. And we're trying to figure out by looking at it after the Shrita, can we determine that the that the blemish was there before the shechita, and therefore it's mutter, or can we not determine that, and therefore it's osir? That's the reason why it's being taken to the to, to the to the expert. But again, the timing here is that it's being taken to the expert after it was already shafted. So what's the halacha? Rebuildamath, even though it was shafted without the permit of the expert, but once it was shafted, we see that there's a blemish. 
you know that the blemish was there before, so everything's good. Lamaisa, you can eat them. Mayor says, no. Since it was shafted without the permission of the expert, Osir, it's Osir. Even if we conclude that it was there, expert Paskins, that there was a Bukhar Balmum, Kavua there, we still say no. Since it wasn't shafted with the permission of the expert, it is Osir. So what's the Yisait of Rameir? It's very interesting Machlegas here. We have Machlegas Rameir and Rabbi Yudah who was shechted without the, uh, the psak of the expert first. Even if we get a psak from the expert afterwards, it's awesome. So that's Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yudah's matter. So what's the Yisait of the Shaila? Alma, Kasav, Rameir, must be Rameir holds. Riyas, Bukhar, Lab, Kriyas, Trefa. The passing of Bukhar is not like examining to look at an animal if it's a Trefa. There's a different type of thing. A Trefa, right? The defects that might make it die. Make it also if there's like a hole in the lung or something like that. And and, and here, Bukhapaskin and Bukhar Bamum is also matters. So there's a very big distinction. Riyas Bukhar Mechaim. To look at a Bukhar, it must take place while it's still alive. Without the Psaq, you have no heter to shech. It's a straight for meat. You cannot eat it. Together with the Rabbanan that you have to show it to the Chacham is that you have to show it to the Chacham first. And if you don't show it to the Chacham first, then it's a tree for animals. It's an Osir animal. It's not about the Mitzis, not whether there's a. It's not about the Mitzis, about whether or not there's a mum. The halacha is that it has to be shechted al pi the hetzer chacham. And if it wasn't shechted al pi the hetzer chacham, it's also, again, this is from Stama only a din rabbanan, but the get is together, the way that the rabbanan legislated their idea is that the, the, there had to be, that there was permission that was granted from the chacham to do it before the shechita. Raspberry is shechita, after shechita, examining the animals of shechita can take place after the shechita. That's not something that we can necessarily get a psaq on before we shechita. We get a psaq whether or not it's a shechita afterwards. So now we know, we can understand, to look at a trefa can take place on yantif. If you have a suffix of an animal is kosher or not, and you shecht it and you look at it after yantif, that's mutter because you're there. It's just telling us what the halach is. It's not like a whole big psaq din that's like judging something or fixing something. Whereas where he is, Bukhar, Meir, Yantif, looking at Bukhar has to take place before yantif because without looking at it, it's viewed as an ostrich thing. Remember, if you shecht without the, without the psaq of the expert taking place before the shechita, according to Meir, it's an ostrich thing. It's also it's forbidden to eat the meat. So the getter that we see, is that it's viewed as something that the expert's psaq is fixing. The expert's psaq is being moderate. So that's why Rabbi Meir, we're assuming, wouldn't allow to look at the Bukhar on Yantif. So basically, now we understand that Rosh Hashim was arguing that Rabbi Yudah, remember, we have the Rabbi Yudah, well, you're allowed to look at, you're allowed to look at Yimam and Yantif. Rosh Hashim was saying, no, the Kaddisha, Kaddisha Kaala is saying, Kaala Kaddisha is saying that Rabbi Shemim opinion is based on Rameir. Since Rabbi Meir's opinion is that if it was shafted without the expert's opinion, even if you see that the mum was in fact there, after the shrita, you verify that the mum was there, we still say that it is Osir. And the idea of it being Osir is that it's viewed that it's, uh, without the expert passing first, it's viewed as, as forbidden goods. So therefore, Paskin and Yantif would be too much of a fix, too much of a psak, and that's why it would remain Osir. So now it comes out that Shemim Nasser is also going like Rebbe Meir. So then Rebbe Yehuda, who allowed looking at the mum, and he's Mamash Adas Yachin. Maybe Shemim Bayuchai and Rebbe Meir are both on the same view, both on the same team. They would both say, you can't look at it. It's only Rabbi Yehuda who is saying that you're allowed to look at it. So Rabbi Yehuda's position, therefore, is a das yachid, a very much a minority view. Since it's a minority view, therefore, we're not going to paskin like it. So now what, that's what Rabbi Yosef meant. Rabbi Yosef said that this issue of looking at a Bukhar and Yontif is taliba ashli ravi. It hangs on big groups, meaning it's very much not clear what is the halacha, but it seems that the majority view is that it's supposed to be awesome. So the Gemara looks back and says, Ramein Rabbi Yehuda didn't say that the machlokas is if you're allowed to look on Yontif. Again, that's our analysis. But really, what was the issue that they were talking about? Is that if it was shechted, if it was shechted without getting a psaq from an expert, is the meat mother or osir? That doesn't show you what exactly they were arguing about. It could be that the root of their issue was, 
they were arguing about a knas, meaning they were arguing about whether or not there's a penalty. It's not a shaila whether or not the meat is usher or mutter without it. They're arguing about whether or not we make a penalty. What does that mean? They argue about whether or not we make a penalty. And if it's if it's if we have a situation of like a type of mum where there's a problem in the eye, like a disease of the cataracts. So if you have a disease of the cataracts of the eye, so so something like that, that's a variable which can change after the shechita. Those are things which can change. So if you're going to look at it after the shechita, everybody would agree that it's aser. If the expert looks at it, at the cataract now, and he sees that there's a mum after the shechita, it looks like there's a problem in the, in the eye, that's for sure still you can't eat the meat. Because that type of blemish could change after the animal's death. Since it could change after the animal's death, so that's pashut, that it's aser. Because the issue here is much bigger. The issue is maybe the mum only developed into a kavua de mum. Maybe this cataract disease that's in the eye, what you're saying is the blemish, maybe that only came about after the shechita was already done. So at the time that the shechita was done, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bal mum. It only became a bal mum. It only became a mum afterwards. So since it only became a mum afterwards, everybody would agree that such a thing is aser. Keep If they only disagree with the blemish that's on the body of the animal, something more obvious, something that doesn't change post the shechita, you know, you have something more on the surface of the animal where clearly it's not something which is going to change afterwards. So let's say you have a broken leg, you have a severed ear, something like really clear that's a mum, something that's not going to change after the shechita. That's where there would be a dispute. Rabbi Meir, the reason Rabbi Meir said that it's aser is he has exera. The same way, if it's a cataract, we're going to say it's aser because maybe it changed post the shechita. So we have to make decree that even other types of movement are aser if you only check them after the shechita as exera to protect the case of the cataract. Since in the case of the cataracts, they could switch after the shechita, so we're going to say that other women, even though they wouldn't check, they wouldn't change after the shechita, those other women would be aser as well if they were only checked after the shechita. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda Savalogas, Rabbi Yehuda holds that we don't make such a decree. Rabbi Yehuda holds no. In the case of the cataracts and achanami, it's aser because maybe they had only changed and it became a mum kavua after the shechita. But if you're talking about another type of mum, a type of mum like you know the the ear was cut or something like that, where it's clearly something which is not going to change after the shechita, that we don't make a decree and it's okay as long as we find out eventually that the mum was there even if it was only checked after the shrito it would be okay so what are we saying we're saying that the machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yudah has nothing to do with us machlokas Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yudah about checking a mum post the shrita is a different issue entirely. The issue is whether or not we make exera to the case of the cataracts where the the disease in the eye where it can maybe, if you check after the shechita, it only became a mumkavua after the shechita. So since, since Rabbi Meir's whole problem is that he has exera up to that case. He has a concern that if we're matter to check the mum after the shechita, if we're matter to check the mum after the shechita, then maybe what's going to happen is that we'll be, someone will check the mum of the bedokin shabayin of the cataracts in the eye after the shechita when it can change as well. So in order to protect that case, that's what Rabbi Meir was saying is that if you check anything after the shechita, it's no good. We originally wanted to say that a mayor Mistama would aser checking a mumanyantif because Rabbi Shad and Rabbi is that the rabbis legislated that it's like aser until until you check. Like the idea is that the psak the psak of the rabbi of the expert is what's matter the shechita. And if you didn't do it before, like the shechita is treif. And then we were assuming if that's a whole lumdus in Rameir, so then he wouldn't allow you to do it on yantif. But what we're saying is that Rameir doesn't hold of that. It's not pshat Rameir saying that the psak of the you know you can only authorize the shechita from the psak of the expert of the psak of the expert. And if it didn't happen first, you can't do it. It's not like that. It's more just like a technical issue that we have to be guaranteed that it didn't change after shechita. And Rameir just had exera that if you only checked afterwards, maybe it changed. That was his issue. 
But our lumdas that Rameir would say that it's usher to check on Yantif, we don't necessarily know that that's true. Maybe Rameir would hold that it's mutter to check on Yantif. Rameir was just concerned that, that if you would only check after the Shechita, then maybe, um, maybe the, 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 the mum only changed after the Shechita. Now the Gemara says, What Abayi is saying is also implicit in the mission. I thought the mission said, Since it was Shechita without the Mumcha, it is usher. He gave a whole reason. He said, Since it was Shechita without the Mumcha, first it's usher. He has a decree here that he's nervous that maybe you checked afterwards. Because if the Pshat was just that Stam without a Psak, then the Shechita is not a good Shechita. Then he would have said more simple thing. He just would have said, Rabbi Meir says it's Aser. Why does he have to give a whole thing since it was Shechel without the Alpi Mumcha? So that shows us that were the ideas that were concerned that Bashas the Shechita maybe really wasn't the Trefa. Maybe really what didn't have a mum. That's why the Mishnah is adding that point. So really we're coming out that the Pshat and Rameir is not that the meat is usher without the Rabbi Paskening. It's not like that. It's not like the Shechita can only be done up Mumcha. And we don't know necessarily that Rabbi Meir would say you can't look at Anyantif. Maybe Rabbi Meir would really let you look at the... When Rabbi Meir would really let, let you examine the mum on Yantif. Rabbi Meir's issue is just that he's concerned that maybe the mum changed only post the Shechita. So there's no connection uh, to our issue. So what are we coming out? We're coming out that we don't really know what Rabbi Meir would hold about whether or not you can do it on Yantif. Originally, the Gemara wanted to say that the Pshad and Rabbi Meir, that you can't check it after the Shechita, is that Rabbi Meir holds that Without the expert passing on it, it's almost like an usher dick a shlita and it can't be done. So then we would know that passing on, on the mum can't be done. And if the Gemara is coming out, this is not the pshat. There might be a different concern. It might be just a concern that it switched to shlita. We don't know where a or shlita would be about chakling on yantif. And therefore, it ends up, we don't really know what to do. Says the Gemara story, Ami Vardina, Ami the Vardina. Um, it seems sounds like that's a place. Chazi He was the one who would look at the Bukhar in the Nazi's house. Chazi. If you wouldn't look at them, he refused to look at them. People told Rami about this. He said, He's doing right that he's not looking at the blemishes. You shouldn't look at the blemishes in Yantif. Rami himself used to look at the blemishes. So why was he praising Ami for not for being Machmer? Says the Gemara, Rav Ami, it's not the Pshad, he really paskined it on Yantif. Really, he would look on it before Yantif. An Arab Yantif to see if it was a permanent thing. He wouldn't paskin. He would look at it, he would see the circumstance of whether or not it was permanent or not. I had said that he did it on Yantif. He would just ask them about the story on Yantif, meaning there are two different elements to the Psak of the expert. The expert has to tell us whether it's permanent or temporary. And even if it is permanent, the expert has to tell us how it came about. Because if a person purposely caused the blemish to form, then it's usher. We're going to see that it's usher to do such a thing. You're not allowed to purposely cause, you're not allowed to purposely cause the, the blemish to come. So, so, so besides for, for knowing that it's a permanent blemish, we also have to make sure that, the, that, that it didn't, wasn't caused with intention. And that, that part he was able to do on Yantif. So before Yantif, Rav Ami was checking whether or not to make sure that it was a permanent blemish. And then all that would happen was on Yantif itself, he would just find out about the circumstances of the mum that it wasn't caused intentionally. And the Gemara shows us how they would sometimes look into this issue. It says the Gemara, Kiha, like this story, somebody brought a Bukhar in front of Rav. Ah, Panya Damal Yom Tov. It was the afternoon right before Yantif. Rav was sitting, he was washing his head, he's preparing for Yantif. Rav lifts his eyes, he looks at the blemish. He said, go now 
and come back tomorrow for an actual psaqiyah. The owner came the next day. In other words, on Erev Yantif, Rava was just looking to see if it was permanent. Then on Yantif itself, he spoke in a dialogue about how the mom came about. He came the next day. Amar Rava said, how did the story occur? How did it happen that the blemish came? Amalei, the owner said, there was barley which was put on one side of a fence and the fence has had hoots in it. It had... Um, thorns in it. So the Bukhar was on the other side. When it wanted to go eat the barley, put its head through the fence and there was a thorn that split the lip here of the Bukhar. So this, that's the way the story that happened. So Ambalei Rava said, Maybe you're not telling me all this, all the details here. Maybe really you caused it. You intentionally put the barley on the other side of the fence and you perpetrated the whole thing that the Bukhar should go injure itself when it's trying to reach it. Ambalei, he said to Rava, Lo, it's not what happened. So Rava was examined the dialogue that he had on Yantif was to make sure that it wasn't intentionally caused. If it would be intentionally caused, then it's not matter the animal to be slaughtered because of the fact that it was intentionally the wrong thing was done. Now, how do we see that it's Asr? Not only to put a mum, the Torah says pretty explicitly you're not allowed to put in a mum into a carbon, like a bachar, but how do we know that it's not only Asr to inflict a wound, but even to cause the wound? I mean, not taking the karma Asr, how do we know that even causing a blemish is Asr? Tanya, as it says in the Bible, mum lo yabo. The Pasuk says there shouldn't be a blemish in a carbon. I would only know you're not allowed to put in. From where do I know that you can't even indirect Cause the blemish to go into the animal. For example, you can't bring dough or press figs and put it on the ear of the Bachar, so that a dog would come and take it, which would injure the ear of the animal as the dog takes it. How do I know you can't even do that? You can't even cause the mum. Tamaloma, to that, the Pasuk says, any blemish. What does that mean? It said mum, and now it's saying any mum. And it's saying, any case about how a mum would come to the Bachar, you're not allowed to do. So there Therefore, even grama, even just a causative thing, even not something which is direct infliction of the wound, even just a cause of a mum is also to do on Yantif, is also to do in general. And that's why Rava was having that discussion with this person on Yantif to find out whether or not it was directly caused or not. So we're saying that Ravami, that's what it means. Really on Erev Yantif, he was examining to see if it was a permanent blemish or not because he held that you're not allowed to paskin in terms of whether it was temporary or permanent on Yantif. This that he paskin on Yantif was only about the circumstances of the way that the mum came about. Continues the mission here. If an animal dies and you have a dead carcass, you're not allowed to move it from its place. What's the idea? It's muksa. So there was a story. They had a story. The question about Rav Tarifon. They asked him, Dad, can you move a dead carcass on Yantif? That had become Tameh. Of Nichlas, the base of Meshavshal, both of these, Reb Tarfan came to base Meshavshal and he asked, Are they Moksa from Allah? He said, Both of these cases are Moksa. The carcass and the Chala are both Moksa. They have um, no no use over here. Now, there's a very, you say this like a thing from Rashi, a very important thing. What's the Pshat that the Chala, that, that the, the Tame Chala is considered to be Moksa? Rashi's bothered, you know, anything on, on Yantav can be used for fuel, and if it's used for fuel, then it's not Moksa. Like even wood or something like that is theoretically. Not moksa if you want to use it for fuel. Now truma or chala, which is um, which is tame on on uh, which is tame is supposed to be given to the coin and the coin burns it. He's allowed to use it for fuel. So why are these things considered to be moksa on yantif? Rashi's bothered. Let them be like fuel. Let them be okay. Rashi explains that we have a specific zeros akasev that says that you're not allowed to give burn the truma that becomes tame or the chala that becomes tame on yantif, and it's like a new malacha. It's like a new restriction that's aser, not specifically because havar is aser. Even on yantif, when you're allowed to kindle the flame, but specifically Rashi holds it's like a new tyras malacha which is given. To 
to the burning of the truma or the challah. It's not allowed to be used as fuel on Yontif. And that for that reason, for that reason, we say that the challah is, um, is tamay. In terms of, the challah is tamay, is moksan. In terms of the carcass, even though you might want to give it to, to your animal, but the idea is it only turns into animal food here on Yontif. It wasn't omade in that state. You didn't expect that it was going to die uh, before Yontif. And before Yontif, you, th- you, you weren't expecting that to happen. So therefore, even though when it dies in Yontif, now you want to give it to your dog, it is moksa. So now the Gemara talks about this. Lamezama sees the low stomach of Rabbi Shimon. Arm stam, Mishnah doesn't go like Rabbi Shimon. The time it says in a price. So, Shimon, I remember, Chatham is a little of If you cord, you want to cut up in front of an animal, you're allowed to do this. And if you or cutting up a carcass, you can cut up in front of dogs, meaning it's not moksa. The dead carcass is not moksa because bottom line is now it's suitable for animal food. Therefore, it is not moksa. Since now it's suitable and it has usage in front of you, it's good. I, when Chavez began, it wasn't like that. But Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon's view is that we say maybe the person theoretically expected it to die. So therefore, it's okay. It's not moksa when it dies on Shabbos or Yantif. So that seems that what we're saying is not like Reb Shimon. Who is it like? It's like the end of the price of Reb Yudom. Reb Yudom teaches that if it wasn't a carcass before Shabbos went to the it's muksa because since in that time it wasn't designated for animal food. So now our Mishnah, which is saying that the carcass is muksa, so our Mishnah, it sounds like it's only going like Reb Yehuda and not like Reb Shimon because according to Reb Shimon, we should say that the carcass is not muksa. So the Gemara defends, we could say our Mishnah is like Reb Shimon, would we concede that if it was a perfectly healthy animal that suddenly died in Shabbos or it's Asr. Meaning, Rabbi Shimon concedes to the concept of something totally unusable before Shabbos or Yontif. If it becomes usable in the middle, is Moksa. He's only saying if it was sick before Shabbos or Yontif. So it's reasonable to expect that the owner was wondering, maybe it's going to die on Shabbos and I'll use it. That's where he says when it dies, in fact, it could be used. But if it's a perf- perfectly healthy animal that suddenly drops dead on Shabbos or Yontif, Rabbi Shimon would concede that it is Moksa. But the Gemara quickly tells us that this issue seems to be a dispute. This is good according to Mar Bar Mimar, who said in the name of Rava, and that Rav Shimon does make that point that he agrees that healthy animals that die in Shabbos and Yantif are Moksa Shapir. According to him, it's good. But even Rav Shimon would agree, as we said. But according to Mar, it's not Rav Yosef. He said in the name of Rava, Rav Shimon disagrees. Even if it's a perfectly healthy animal, if it dies on Shabbos and Yantif, Rav Shimon still holds that it's mutter. Now, it's not only by a sick animal that Reb Shimon permits it. So according to his view, Michael and Mimar, what are you going to say? So our Mishnah, which says that the carcass is muksa, clearly in his view is not going like Rebbe Shimon. If Rabbi Shimon is lenient and he says it's not muksa, even a perfectly healthy animal, then our mission, which says a carcass is muksa, must not be like Rabbi Shimon. So the Gemara says, Chirikimah is here, Bimemah is Here he explains our mission is talking about Kachim. It's talking about a holy animal, carbon. And there you can't have benefit from the carcass. If a carbon drops dead, you cannot feed it to your dogs. It's not suitable to give to the animals. There, even Rabbi Shimon would concede it's muksa. Rabbi Shimon is only talking about a regular, unconsecrated animal which dies. There, Rabbi Shimon says it can be given to the dogs. But if I have a situation where it's Kachim, carcass of Kachim, there, even Rabbi Shimon would agree, in fact, that it is Moksa. Says the Mardekanami, we can infer as well from our Mishnah, we're talking about Kachim, Tiktani, our Mishnah says, Alev al we spoke about the carcass and Chala, which became Tame. Why are we comparing these two cases, the Chala that became Tame and the carcass? One is one, what does one have to do with the other? The answer is, Machala, the Kadesha, Behemoth, the Kadesha. Same way the Chala is holy, it's, it's, it's reserved for the coin. Here we're talking about a Behemoth of Kachim. That's the point with Dafka talking about Kachim. That's why we're ruling that the carcass is Tame. But in Achanami, if it would be a regular unconsecrated animal which would drop dead, even a healthy one, Reb Shimon would say it is not Moksa. So now that we made the inference from the Mishnah, so the Gemara comes around the other way. Ella, time of the Kadisha. Now let's infer it's only because 
it was Kudshim that died, that the Mishnah is saying it's carcass, as the Mishnah is implicit because it put it next to the din of Chalash and Itmes. But if it was a regular animal died in Gantav Shari, it would be Mutter. So now we have a question the other way. According to that opinion, Therab Shimon is Mekel even on a healthy animal, everything's good. It's only by Kudshim that it would be Muksa, but non Kudshim would not be Muksa even if it was a healthy animal. But according to Marmar Mamar, who is saying that Reb Shimon agrees a healthy animal dies as muksa, and he's only talking about a sick animal, Michael and Mamar, ours and our Mishnah implicit. Otherwise, our Mishnah is mashma. It's only by Kajim that we're saying that the carcass is muksa. But if it wouldn't be Kajim, then the carcass wouldn't be muksa. What do you mean? Uh, if we're talking about a healthy animal, then Reb Shimon should agree it's muksa, even if it's not consecrated. So Mark explains, he'll say we're dealing with the Mishnah of, a, of an animal that was very sick when Yantav began. But different Hakol, the Mishnah could be according to all different views of Reb Shimon's opinion, both Mamar and Mamar and, and, and the son of Yosef that would agree that in that case, it could be moved on Yantav generally because of the fact that it, the owner expected it to die. And our Mishnah is saying that Davka, because it is Kajim, as the Mishnah is implicit as it compares it to Chalash and Yitzhak, Davka, because it is Kajim, that's why we have an issue. So bottom line is we have the din of our Mishnah that a dead carcass is considered um, initially we thought it's not like Reb Shimon but we're saying there's a bunch of variables. Number one Reb Shimon may agree if it's a healthy animal that's a machlokas and number two Reb Shimon certainly would agree that if it's a kajim animal which has no use you're not allowed to feed it to a dog then it would be moksa on yantif. Continues the Mishnah. People are not allowed to be counted into a group for buying an animal for its meat on Yontif. So what is going on here? It used to be back in the day, they didn't have the fridges and freezers to keep meat fresh. So they would only slaughter an animal when there was a whole group of people who together were ready to, uh, to all eat it. So you would have to get, I don't know, let's say 10 people all together would come together. They would go to the butcher and they would decide and a price all together with the butcher. And that's exactly what the mission is saying is what shouldn't be done. And the Gemara will go into detail specifically what's usher, but the basic idea is that to count people together into a, into a group on, on, on Yontif, to go ahead and discuss the price and to buy the animal, that's not allowed to be done. And the idea is that on Yontif, you're not supposed to be doing things which are financial arrangements. Mekachu Memkar, a lot of this has to do with the fact that it was Chazal uh, didn't want general Mekachu Memkar on Yontif. We find that, you know, when, when, when Nehemiah came back to Eretz Israel, he saw that the stores were open. Mekachu Memkar in general is not Shabbos or Yontif Dik. Furthermore, it may cause a person to write. So generally, in general, Mekachu Memkar is discouraged on Shabbos and Yontif. So the Mishnah is saying, don't go ahead and get into a group, Lechatchila, on Yontif. Yontif. They could be counted together in a group before Yontif. In other words, that would be a great solution if you make all the financial arrangements before and the prices and everything in the group is all negotiated before it's ready to go. Or if they didn't do that, the shultun mechalkam If for whatever reason that wasn't arranged before Yantif, then on Yantif they could just shech the animal and divide it between themselves. Meaning, what the Mishnah is saying is that a second option, if no arrangements were made, is that they can just form a group take an animal from the butcher, have him checked and divided, and then afterwards they'll make some sort of uh, calculations after Yontif to decide how much that they owe the butcher. So now the Gemara is going to clarify here, what are the details? What cannot be done on Yontif and what could be done on Yontif? So the Gemara says, my nimnin. What do we mean that they can't be counted together? What types of things can't be done? It's specifically about fixing a price. That's the issue. It's not, the for, it's not bringing a group together, but the point is that bringing a group together is going to involve a discussion of the price, and you're not supposed to be doing business on Yontif, so the discussion and the price, that's the issue. The psikas hadomim, the on the animal on Yontif, that's the problem. 
Okay, so what did the Mishnah say? Either that you should take care of it before Yantiv, or if you didn't, you could just shech the animal now, and then you'll figure it out after Yantiv. So the question is, hey, how do you do this? Meaning, like, what's happened already happened. If you're not going to discuss the price and figure out how much the animal is worth, so on and so forth, then how after Yantiv are you going to be able to come along and uh, fairly assess with the butcher how much we owe him? So the Gemara says, maybe she before the Shechita, the butcher should bring two animals that seem like similar, like similar size animals. My meeting is put them right next to the other. He tells the people of the group. He says, look at this animal. The animal you're about to shecht is just like this animal here. And then after Yontif, what are they going to do? They're going to go to the remaining animal and then they're going to assess him what his value is, so on and so forth. And that's how much the group will pay for the animal which was already shechted. So obviously it's not going to be perfect, but that's the way that it can be done. And again, the point is, they circumvented the Isra of doing business on Yontif because they're not going to be actually discussing prices here on Yontif. Says the Gemara Tanya, it's taught like this in a price as well, like Shmuel Leah, a person shouldn't say to his friend, to the butcher, I'm with you in the animal for a sella. A sella is amount of money. I want a sella's worth of meat. You shouldn't say that. Or I'm with you for two sella's worth. You shouldn't say that. He could tell him, I'm with you for a half, a third, or a quarter of the animal. So as long as he's not discussing price, then it's not a problem. So what do we see? We see that this is a support to Shmuel. Shmuel was explaining that the issue of the Mishnah of counting together in a group is only if money is mentioned. And we're supporting that from the Bryser because that's the point. The Bryser is specifically mentioning the Sela, speaking about how much money it is worth. I want this amount of money's worth of meat. That's what's all served. But without mentioning the amount of meat, then in fact, it would be okay.